What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, the official podcast of the New York Mets. Just wrapped up one of the wettest, dampest, soggiest series that I can remember from my recent memory against the Atlanta Braves. Ending with a doubleheader on a Monday, bizarre. The first game of the series happens on Friday, then two rainouts, then a doubleheader. It was just overall one of the weirdest weekends that I've experienced in a very, very long time. So much rain, as you guys know. We did lose a series as well, which stinks. Not not particularly excited about that, but there's some things to take out of this that were at least good, and especially on the offensive side. A lot of good things going on with the New York Mets. So we will talk about every single game as we always do after every single series on this podcast. So make sure you guys are following us on all our social media at MetsDup, M-E-T-S-D-U-P on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube video version of this, go to the New York Mets YouTube channel, subscribe over there. We drop the video version of the podcast. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe so you don't miss out. James, how you doing, my man? What's going on? Doing good, man. You know, both of us had the weekends back in Westfield. Both of us now, I mean, I'm back and I just came back now. I'm very candidly watching Rangers Game 7 on another tab right now behind while we're doing this episode. But just a really weird, like you said, very bizarre, strange Mets series that we just had to witness. Yeah, I mean, there's just been so much rain up until today, and it's it's going to rain, I think, on Tuesday too, right? Yeah, all week again. Yeah, great. Love it. Awesome. I love when it's raining. At least the Mets will be away in, in Detroit, the beautiful weather that is there. I think it's going to be like 40 degrees. We'll talk about that in the series preview. But yeah, this was a huge series with the Braves. The Mets had not necessarily been playing their best baseball. They had that little bit of a losing streak going up against the Giants and Nationals. End of the series with a win, as we know on the episode that we recorded. But coming into this Brave series, there was a lot of questions, I think, by a lot of people in the baseball world about what the Mets were looking like. I think a lot of people just in the Mets fandom essentially were looking at this series as a very, very important one. And even us, we talked about that this is the most important series I've played all year. And while it didn't necessarily go our way, it's for sure not doomsday like there are some people making out to be like there were some good things that happened. And relatively speaking, starting with game one, pretty fluky what happened in game one. Let's be honest. Like, we were having our own conversation, like, off air, like, whether we're going to go to the city field or not, because, like, you want to go to every single, almost every single Mets game, but definitely every single Mets-Braves game, but then you saw the weather, it was like, rain starting at 7, rain starting at 7, but the whole day was, like, kind of clearish. Not clearish, but at least it was just, like, a little windy and a little misty. And Gary Cohen talked about it, he was like, really stinks for playing this game the pouring rain, and there was rain from 2 to 7.15 today. Yeah, like, I mean, like you said, me and you were talking about it, one of our friends was trying to convince us to come, because he was going to the game. And it was just like, is this rain actually going to ever come? And it just, it happened as soon as the game started, which was unfortunate because you don't really want ever there to be like this, this wet, damp, uh, you, you described it in the notes as soggy, which is now my new favorite way to describe a rain game. It was soggy, but it's, it's true. It was just like a wet game and you knew it was going to be five innings. You knew it was going to be quick. They had to get this one in, especially with the four game series. And the fact that the Braves only come back to City Field one more time, so you don't want to have another five-game series like we did last year. It was uh, the perfect storm of just frustrating this to start the series in a way. Definitely. And it was, again, just the culmination of now a full month where David Peterson, with coming in with high expectations after a really good end of the season last year, strong spring training, just simply just wasn't good enough again. And the ultimately ended with a demotion to Syracuse after the game, which is very surprising to us, probably many Mets fans out there, but... You just kind of watched that game. You saw him cruise through four innings. He had all the strikeouts. He wasn't walking anyone. He was getting out of the hitters. He was attacking the zone. You're like, all right, this is the David Peterson that we're used to. This is David Peterson that we'd come to expect this year. And then suddenly he gets into that fifth inning. He gets the third time around the batting order. 
and seems like guys are a little bit more equipped. He walked somebody, he gave up a couple dinky singles, and then Matt Olson comes up. And it was such deja vu to the yep. game against the Braves last May, but also a doubleheader. We were at the game. That was when we were like first starting to like have these conversations with the Mets. We got on TV with Darren with the yes. seven line doing the celebration. Very fun day. But if you remember that day, it was it was either the fourth or fifth inning, and I looked at you with the stands, and I was like, hey, I'm really going to have to go to the bathroom at some point during this game. I'm going to go next inning when Matt Olson comes up because third yep. time around, he's going to hit home run David Peterson. Yeah. And, like, what do you know? It really happened again this game. And for the third start in a row for David Peterson, maybe even the fourth start in a row, I can't remember. I only specifically remember the last three. A lefty hit a home run off the slider. And a lefty crushed home run off the slider. And it really just felt like this was going to happen. It almost felt inevitable, which sucks. Yeah, and based on where the pitch looked like on TV, it was that same spot where you could basically close your eyes and, and take a swing at the ball, and it was right down the middle. Like, you couldn't have put it on a tee any better. And with Peterson getting sent down, I mean, like, it's it's confusing, but again, in the same sense, it does make sense because there, there definitely has been struggles for David Peterson, but we've also seen those little sparks of where we're like, oh, there's the pitcher that was good. Like, again, for the first four innings of this game, he was cruising. He looked fantastic, and it just all fell apart in that fifth I don't I don't know. Like what do you think is really happening? It it seems like that there was a conscious effort by Peterson or someone else to make adjustments to his slider coming into the season. And the adjustment was to basically make the pitch a little bit tighter, try and almost make it more of a primary pitch, which makes sense given Peterson's repertoire and the way he's developed as a pitcher because his sinker was always so so. He's really done a lot of work to get better extension in that fastball, get better ride on it, but it's still not exactly a top line fastball to where it's gonna be a pitch you're comfortable throwing 40, 50% of the time as a primary pitch. So I guess you saw the bones of this great slider that was a big whiff pitch for Peterson last year. And you're like, okay, we can tighten this up a little bit, make it a little bit more. People call it the gyro slider, something that is a new phrase going around baseball right now, where it's a little bit tighter, almost act like a little bit of a cutter. We can make this pitch primary. But what seems to have happened is that he has, it seems like this pitch has been adjusted a little too quickly. And there's just something that isn't right about it right now and again the logic of making that move makes sense because if you can make that slide of your primary pitch and then work your repertoire off of it when that pitch is like is the is the golden goose on top you can get something but what's happened this year is that slider's picked up two miles an hour so far he's getting a little bit more on top of it in terms of his spin angle right last year he was spinning at around four four o'clock if you're thinking about the clock and this year it's closer to 230 on the clock okay so you're getting a little more on top of it with that it's moving it lost like almost a third of its horizontal movement. It's moving about four inches now to 2.3 inches every single time it's thrown. He's throwing it significantly more in the zone, 37% last year, 48% this year, significantly more. So much less much, much less out of the zone. Shout out Robert Orr, a baseball prospectus writer. I was tweeting with him about this today because there was a great chart on Brooks Baseball. He tweeted where it just shows in zone rate, out of zone rate, and they've come really close together. And last year they were really far apart. And then it like a lot of other parts of that makes sense when you think about those changes. It's getting 10 points less whiffs. Last year was almost getting 50% whiffs. This year is 37%. It's been the heart of the zone this year, 21% of the time. Last year was 16% of the time. It's being chased only 17% of the time last year, down from 32% last year. That's a chase rate that's well, well, well below league average. Significantly, like on all pitches, significantly below league average on sliders. And then but with all that, the strikeout rate has dropped from 50% to 30%. Yeah. That was the pitch last year that he would, could rely on. Just get ahead in the count, throw your sinker, throw your fastball, get ahead. That wipes him out. It's a pitch that really it just seems like he hasn't fully he hasn't fully gotten it where it has to be right now. And when that is your top pitch and it's not getting what it has to was not getting it done, you're not gonna get guys out. 
Yeah, and I guess you can't really tinker with it that much at the major league level if these are the outcomes that we're now getting, which is probably why you send him to the minors. Like we said, he got optioned on the AAA. He can, he can figure it out there. We still have faith in David Peterson to be a very good pitcher. Like you said, that slider, that slider is a good pitch. It's just right now it's not as sharp as it needs to be. It's not as good as it needs to be for David Peterson to truly be effective. And it's also a weird spot, too, because the Mets really need some starting pitching. Although... Although we know that Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer are, are coming. They're going to be pitching in that Detroit series uh, as the projected starters. So the pitching is coming, which kind of almost affords you to allow David Peterson to go down and work on some things because now your two aces are going to be back in this rotation, hopefully looking healthy, and everything should be okay so you don't have to rely on Peterson, a guy who maybe at the start of the year you didn't even know if he was going to be in the rotation on opening day kind of thing. So I think it's a weird spot because we both have a lot of faith in David Pearson, and it's not like we're we're done with this guy, and I don't think any Mets fan should be. But he definitely needs to fix whatever is happening because this team is better when he is sharp like he was last year. Definitely. And I do think also the emergence of Joey Lucchese affords the Mets this opportunity to do this with David Peterson as well. And they just they just need length from these guys, and, and Peterson is just not, he's not giving to them right now, so they have to do something else. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see with Peterson going down to, to work on things. Because this did happen last year, too. While yeah. he was pitching pretty well, he had a few best starts, he went back down, he came up, and he was fine. I'm very intrigued to see. And there's not that much data on minor league pitch movement, but I'm going to do my best to find it every single time he makes a start. Whether or not he does whatever he can to make this new slider the pitch he wants it to be, or tries to maybe readjust, revert back to the old mm-hmm. one, find the right grip, find the right angle, find the right movement on there, and go back to the old one. It's a... This is a kind of this is a bit of a turning point in David Peterson's career. This is a moment for David Peterson yeah. right now. Twenty-seven years old. He's been he's been basically in the big league team for three straight seasons. This is the worst stretch he's had since that has happened. And the team really, really desperately needs a starting pitcher. This is a guy I really thought was going to be really good for volume this year. Kind of maybe even take a step forward, get a little better pitchability. He was really good there. And just the adjustments, the minor adjustments that were made to this pitch, whether it's been him, I don't know. We'll know. And also, it might not even be intentional. This might just be a mechanics yeah. thing. This could actually just be an accident. It was an, a not intentional adjustment. And it's just something that's an issue. And maybe that's what he's going to fix. But very intrigued to see what, what goes on with David Peterson in Syracuse for the next few weeks. Yeah, dude, 6'7". We know the mechanics on a taller pitcher is even harder to replicate. So maybe it's just something to clean out the mechanics too. All that being said, relatively speaking, it wouldn't probably be perceived as as bad of a start either, though, if this game went more than five innings. Because really, what, the Mets lost this game 3-4-0, I think it was? I'm scrolling back now because, I mean... I, it feels like light years ago, lifetime ago, because it was, it was, and also it was just so weird that it was four nothing. This game, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, it felt like as this game was beginning and going on that we we weren't going to play nine innings. No, so and I understand that. The, and being it, in New York too, we see the rain outside. We're like, oh, it's rain, and especially yeah. I'm in Astoria. I'm very close to City Field at least. I don't know if, what the difference is between Brooklyn and Queens, but. In Astoria, it was raining cats and dogs at one point. I'm like, it's this game can, can, cannot continue to go on. It looks like they wanted to just get to five, and hopefully the Mets had a lead by five. Definitely. So I did think that as I was watching it, like, okay, this is this is like as if this was the ninth inning. Like, yeah. I, but also like Dave, like at, with Brooks Raley going on the IL. But it's, I think this happened. Like, that was he, after. Yeah. yeah, but still, Muckenher wasn't here yet. If he went in the IL after the game, I'm sure he wasn't. I like him as a pitch here. Like, who, who's going to get Matt Olson out besides for David Peterson? That was also a problem I remember from last year too like who is the guy so like if you can't get him out you can't get him out but it just did feel like this was going to be the moment of the game and the, the Braves just won it yep no they just won it uh and we did him Max Freed who's a good pitcher you know he's a very solid pitcher uh he's a big game pitcher too guy always seems to step up but Mets lose game one 
Then we had the rain for two days. Uh, it was just nonstop rain. It didn't it stop raining awful. for a second in the Tri-State area for three days. Literally. I mean, like you said, we were talking about it off air. The city field grass was looking green as ever. I mean, it was lush. I'm sure your front yards, wherever you're living, maybe not if you're in New York City, but if you got a patch of grass somewhere, I bet you it's greener than it's ever looked because the rain has been nonstop and there's going to be a lot more. And luckily, though, we got to actually see some more baseball. It was just uh, on Monday. It was it was two days later, two full days of no Mets baseball. Get back to game number two on Monday, which is one of the weirdest sentences I feel like I've ever said. I, have you ever heard of a game two on Monday? No, it felt like a fever dream. But also the fact that we this was kind of a day that I marked on the calendar when the season started because we do this podcast mostly on, like consistently on Sundays, then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, depending on how the series works out during the week. So it's always like, oh, if there's going to be a free Sunday, like circle it. Make plans with the family. Make plans with friends. Sunday's like a great day to go do things, especially in New York City. It's a very hot day in the city. So I'm like, okay, this is a good Sunday for us. Like We could do some stuff. So knowing the series ended on Monday anyway made it so much more obscure that these teams didn't have a mutual off day because the series ending on a Monday for some bizarre reason. So this is going to be the fourth game. Instead, it became the second game, and it was it was it it felt very strange. Yeah, very strange. And it was also a strange start to this one, too, because uh, if you guys were at the stadium, you might have recognized the little voice calling out who was coming up to the plate, the PA announcer. Mr. Johnny Mikes, what do, what do we call him? We got to come up with a nickname for this one. Johnny PA is not bad. Johnny PA, Johnny Press, something uh, like that. Johnny Public Address. <laughs> but John Barron, our own, or Jonathan Barron, as Gary called him. Jonathan, yeah. I mean, that's, how, that's, 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 his, that's his game name his mother gave him. I'm down to call him Jonathan. Course, yeah, his, his mother would prefer us, I think, for us to call him that, probably instead of like Johnny Linens and Johnny Bahama, whatever we call him. Johnny Lentils. But John was doing the game uh, on the PA, which was nice. I wasn't there. But I'm sure those of you, I don't, I, I, there had to be at least a couple people in the stadium that was like, whose voice is this? I, I've heard this before. Where have I heard it? It's when John goes on his 30-minute tangent doing the estimate, which I, I, I don't even think John is here. Where is John? Oh, that's not John. It's at the Rangers-Devils game. Yeah, I forgot about that. So we'll have to do the estimate without him. But let's talk about game two now, um, which was crazy because it felt like one of those games that like could have been one of those all-time great wins looking back on it because the Braves... It was weird from the start, too, because we had a bullpen game in game one of a doubleheader, which is scary. Not how you roll, but the Mets went with it. Denny Reyes getting the call up, pitching the first inning, fine, right? And then the second inning was where he ran into a little bit of trouble, and then John Curtis. The first inning, it definitely wasn't, like, super fine. It felt like the Braves kind of had to beat on him. And I do I do remember, like, over the weekend, the Mets were mentioning that they did want to get Denny Reyes stretched out. That's why he went to the minor leagues yeah. originally, but... He wasn't down the minor leagues very long. His longest outing down there was only about 38 pitches. So it was like, okay, he's, he really isn't stretched out. So it wasn't super likely. And in that first inning, that is when, I mean, the first two batters reached against him. When Ronald yeah. Cooney hit a single, Matt Olsen single, like, okay, something's happening here. The Sean Murphy just hit a hit a wicked home run. You're like, all right, this this really might not be it. And then, yeah. and then you come out for the second, and Michael Harris immediately hits a single, and Kevin Pillar hits a home run. You're like, okay, this is not this is not the Denny Reyes day. It was Buck, Buck did say they wanted to get three out of him. I think they were probably saying that, and at least just hoping for two. The Braves are really squaring him up early, though. I was surprised to see him come out for that second inning, but we're at a time right now with the Mets where we need any kind of innings we can get out of anybody. I mentioned it. I tweeted it out today. We still are yet to have a pitcher re- complete six innings twice this season. It's been, a, it's been a slog out there for the guys who started the games for us, but it was it just felt from the start that Denny Reyes wasn't the guy who was going to get the bulk of the innings. Yeah, I mean, it was a big bullpen day. We mentioned Denny Reyes. Uh, John Curtis came in after him through two innings, gave a one run, one hit. Did a decent job, right? Steven Nagosik. Well, the, the John Curtis one and run was Ronald Acuna yeah. hitting the longest home runs ever in the history <laughs> of the sport. So I'll, I I might push back on that. But again, John Curtis, I mean, oh. he, well, he settled down really nicely after that. It was just that fact that 
it was like the first or second pitch he even threw. No, it was the fifth pitch he threw. I'm looking now. It was three <laughs> zero strike looking down the middle, and then next one down the middle again. And Ronald Acuna hit it to the moon, and then made an obscene gesture to the Mets, which I yeah. appreciate. Which we'll talk a little bit more about in Game Three, but going around a uh, third, Acuna gave like a little bit of like the little brother sign, right? Small. Like you're, or you're too small. You're down here. Uh, listen, I am so pro bat, bat flip. I'm so pro home run celebration. I'm pro like hype. The trash talk. There's a line. There's a line. You can teeter it a little bit. You can you can walk it a fine line. Felt like that one might have been a little bit too much. And to be fair, it did seem like the Mets bats who they started the game off pretty well, but. The Mets bats did wake up in this game, and we got to Spencer Strider, who has been considered one of the better pitchers in baseball, has pitched really well this year. But the Mets kind of like have this guy's number a little bit, definitely a little bit, definitely more than everybody else in baseball has it, which yes. is kind of something we're gonna hang our hats on. For some reason, that guy walks in the city field and the little, the little mustache shrivels up, and he can't really pitch. We go five foot nine of him. Yeah, I mean, you gave again. It's the bullpen day, so the offense kind of knows that going in. We're like, we got, we got, we got to show up a little bit, and. They, they scratched one across in the first inning and made him throw almost 40 pitches. You're like, okay, we're doing it now. Let's get it together. Yeah. And then he gave up three more again, but this Mets team did not quit. They will never say die, and they came right back. Pete hit the home run, then Brett Beatty hit the home run. First was crew off a lefty, and it was like, you're fighting, you're scratching, you're clawing, and you have every single chance to get in here and win this game. And then a big moment where the Mets did really have a chance, it got the game, I think it was to two at the time, and then eventually got to yeah. one, was Jeff McNeil. With David Daniel Vogel back at the plate, nobody out, bases loaded, and a, gr- a ground ball hit to first base. Every single Mets fan moaned and groaned at the same time, like, "Oh man, Dan- Danny double plays. It's going to happen again." And then Vaughn Grissom, who I've bemoaned a few times in this <laughs> podcast for being, I, I just don't think he's a very good shortstop. He 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 takes the throw a second. He cuts around the outside of the bag as a shortstop would do, and then Jeff McNeil just just slides into second base like super normally. Great slide, super a very normal average slide that any baseball player any, anywhere always would say was good and. And Vaughn Grissom just makes an erratic throw because he's he's a subpar defender. Then the the Mets squeak out a few more runs after that. Yeah, Braves fans online were trying to say that was a dirty slide, but by no means was that a dirty slide at any means. That's one hard nosed baseball. He also didn't hurt Vaughn Grissom at all. Didn't really make any significant contact with him. Didn't come in cleats up. Was he as close to second base as possible? I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say whether he was or wasn't. I think no. that's for you guys to decide. And I, some of you watching the video version at home. Probably getting a little kick out of the faces that me and James are making here while saying this, but it was a baseball play. It was a baseball slide, and Vaughn Grissom made a bad throw, got behind him. The Braves didn't challenge. You want to know why? Because the Braves didn't think that there was anything wrong with it, so surely it was a completely normal slide, which it was by the rules of the game, and it did bring the game a little bit closer. Uh, Like you said, it it brought it right back to a two-run game, Yes, and it pretty much did sit there until the ninth inning uh, when A.J. Minter came into the game, who I talked about all podcasts last time of not being great. And to be fair, he still wasn't very great. I mean, his control was all over the place. But our boy Eduardo Escobar, Eduardo Escobar's coming in to face the lefty with the right-handed swing that you know I love so much of his. It's a nice home run off A.J. Minter, and all of a sudden it's 9-8 with Brett Beatty at the plate who just got his first home run against a lefty. Earlier in the game, A.J. Minter was a little bit all over the place, and Beatty tattooed it to right field, crushed it. It was just right at Acuna, and that, that, that was the end of the game. But like like you said, this team didn't, just like completely keel over and die. They were like, no, we're, we're still going to try and come back in this one against one of the division rivals, which is what you're supposed to do, but it is also nice to see. Yeah. And if we're going to take a silver lining out of a loss. For sure. And it was like that the whole game. Like they were down 6 1 second inning in this game, and they, yeah. did, they didn't die. You got, yeah, I gave me the Brigham minute because Jeff Brigham did give up the big blow in this game. I know. Yeah. I was, I didn't, I didn't know if you wanted to do I have to. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't bask in the sun, then run away from the shade. Like this is, this is the whole point of it. This is the experience. That's, 
That's big J journalism right there. It has to be. And one thing about Brigham, which is true again about every single reliever in this bullpen right now, is that they're being asked to probably do a little bit more than they're comfortable with. And he get, did come in, he got a big out, and what inning was that? I'm going to check right now. That was, he got a big last out in the in the sixth inning. When uh, I was in, there was there was a man on, but he got he got Michael walked Michael Harris and got Pilar. Then he came back out for the seventh, and he immediately gave him a double to Acuna. Olsen walked, and then Sean Murphy just hit a moonshot off him on a sweeper that just it just sat in the middle of the plate. It was just it kind of hung it got, it really hung there. And one thing that really concerned me about Brigham in this start that concerned me about Brigham the whole time was that his fastball f- velocity was way down in this game. It was down about a tick and a half from where it sat the rest of the season. He was really only barely even getting to ninety three over again. He was still getting there at the end, but it's just I almost have a feeling that he was aware that he was this was gonna be like a 30, 40 pitch outing, he might have taken a little loss. And that made that pitch a little less effective. That put more on the sweeper than he eventually hung one. And yeah. that sucked. It just sucked to watch Sean Murphy the second of two through home runs in the game. Every single Mets fan collectively is totally aware that Sean Murphy is gonna be the biggest thorn in our sides for the what? This the entire duration of the six year contract he got for free. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it looked like kind of anyway that we were slicing because Shea Langoliers really gave us a little bit of trouble too out in Oakland. But come on, how do they get Sean Murphy for free, man? How do what was it for free? They trade William Contreras, like what, a good ball player. Yeah, but they trade him to the Brewers. How did the A's get nothing? That's the, what I want to say. The A's got a story Ruiz. They think he's he's the guy and Kyle Muller. So of course, yeah. But, oh my God, Braves get away with it again. Get away with it again. They can't keep getting away with this. I mean, this, you gotta get these guys and shout out both Stephen Agostek and Tommy Hunter. For sure, giving such important length in this game to even just get us to a point where we still had our best relievers available for game two in a game that was six one in the second inning that we kind of hung tight the whole game and yet and it came from Brigham. Like I thought Brigham was a guy who was ascending to the B team, possibly the A team, this late inning bullpen. If he doesn't give up that home run, there's a good chance we win this game. So I'll again, I'll wear this one. I'll wear this one. This, this loss is on me. It's accountability. You gotta you gotta respect a podcaster who takes accountability for his takes. Almost none do. No, almost, almost not. I try to avoid it as much as possible. I, I hope people forget my bad takes. They don't. The internet never forgets. Yours wasn't a bad take. You just, you just, you just were wrong. It happens. And game two, like we said, was a loss. So you lose the series now. With the second game of the doubleheader coming up with Tyler McGill on the mound going up against Uncle Charlie. And at the time, this was the Mets' sixth consecutive loss against the Atlanta Braves. And How do you got to bring that up? Debbie, we get, you talk about accountability. Like, we have to be aware of this. Like, we have to that's know. Cool. Like, this is this is something that's very serious. We can't get to where we want to get as a petite baseball team if we can't find a way to get past this team. At this point, after Ronald Acuna telling you it's too, you're too small, you're, you, something has to change. Like, something does. And it was, I, I was mad. I was really mad after this game. Of course. And, uh, you know, the game started off with some some interesting sparks at the start, too, because, uh, yeah, Ronald Acuna got hit with the ball up, by yeah. the sh- up in the shoulder area on an 0-2 pitch, I believe, and was then uh, taken off the field, left the game with a, an injury, didn't play in this one. And Tyler McGee, the ball slipped. Ball slipped. It happens. You're, gets never, you're never going to intentionally throw the guy, too, so. No. Well, he had him 0-2. He had him on the ropes. I mean, listen, Ronald Acuna also... Dives, dives over the plate. Dives over the plate. Guys trying to... I, I would, too, if I hit, like, Ronald Acuna. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'd, I'd act like I own the box. He just didn't get out of the way quick enough. That's what happened. Uh, and that was the end of the Ronald Acuna situation, I think, right? I mean, I mean that was it. I mean, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see him in August or whenever next time yeah. we play the Braves. July or whatever. There's a stupid new schedule. But thankfully, McGill did get us. He really settled down and felt like his entire roster. He just stepped on the mound. He did what he had to do. It is, again, that trend with McGill's been going on for most of the season where... He's not striking anybody out still. He's not getting any swings and misses. He's not striking anybody out. The big reason for that is he's just throwing all fastballs. It was like 70, yeah. it was like 70% fastballs in this game. And 
The good news there is that that fastball velocity has ticked up again. It went up another half mile an hour in this game. He got to 97 a few times. That is something that is really, 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 really encouraging about Tyler McGill. But for some reason, there's a lack of comfortability with these secondaries. And it's something that it, this is it's just not going to last forever, Tyler McGill getting these outs for that secondaries. I still believe in Tyler McGill as a pitcher and what he is. Yeah. I saw someone on Twitter compare him to, you want to get this, 2018 Vince Velasquez today. And it made me it made me terrified. Whoa. <laughs> Because I was like, if 31-year-old Tyler McGill like crushes it in a couple of years with like the Mariners or something, I'm going to punch a hole in a wall. But <laughs> it was just, just seeing where that fastball is and how much hop he's still getting on it. And then the fact that the slider and the curveball are moving and the changeup has a good um, gradient of velocity with his fastball, but they're not, it just seems it's just not comfortable with them. You can't locate them right now. So he's close. He's not there. And again, it was so obvious that Buck really wanted six innings out of Tyler McGill. Yeah, he almost became again the, the, that elusive moment where the first Met pitcher completed six innings this year, and he was just running out of gas. And there was a walk, and then there was a long at bat, and another walk, and then a lefty Eddie Rosario comes to the plate, and he works in that bat, and he puts one in the gap, and every single Mets fan collectively went, "Oh, not again!" Oh, not Eddie Rosario, dude. Okay, so it's crazy too because Eddie Rosario, known for having quite the the loose bat, the dude swings at everything. He does it. He's allergic to walks. One of your favorite sayings that we use on the podcast. But against the Mets, this guy becomes the most selective hitter on the planet because he took two close pitches here, I think, from Tyler McGill to go up 2-0 in the count. And then McGill kind of has to attack him again because there was nowhere to put him. The bases were loaded. And you sit that gapper, to which, by the way, Sean Murphy was out at the plate. I know it got reversed. I've never seen the umpires. The umpires particularly this year have been just all over the place. But this was not... Re- like it was a reviewable play, obviously. He was called out on the field, which is also so important. It was incredibly nonchalant, too, when they reversed it. Yeah, they were just, just like, oh, yeah, it. it's, it's overturned. It's overturned, and he's he's safe. And I was like, first off, if you look at the replays, for sure wasn't undisputable. Indisputable is the word, right? Indisputable? Undisputable? Indisputable. Indisputable. It was not indisputable evidence that he was safe for sure. Undisputable is the Skip Bayless show. Oh, it's awful, yeah. that's Damn, he got him. Skip Bayless and planted that into my head despite never watching that show. That's a shame. Hate to give him free promo, although he really doesn't need it. I'm sure everyone who watches this knows of it. But, yeah, I mean, I want to give credit to Nimmo and McNeil because that was a phenomenal, phenomenal relay for which, and a great tag by Alvarez, too, for which Sean Murphy was called out on the field, should never been overturned, was, and all of a sudden, like you said, the Mets are down 3-2. Yes, and, yeah, it's just frustrating that, again, McGill, who's not super effective against lefties anyway, like, I don't know. It, just, it felt it just it was he was like it was really just dragging to the finish line. He had just such a close pitch against. I think it was Murphy right before Rosario on the outside edge of the fastball. Yeah, because he went o two on him too. Yeah. I think, and he went o two on he went o two on two guys, and basically just could not get that pitch. And with Murphy, it felt like a pitch around, but also if I could sneak a strike, I'd get it. And he snuck one to make it three two, but then couldn't get that strike three, which was like he said it was so close. But Sean Murphy, he's gonna be a back killer. He's gonna be a Met killer. We know that. Solskjaer's gonna be a killer. Like he's he's, he's get, good. He's getting everybody out. He's he's crushing the ball right now. It's ridiculous. He's always been good. He just played in Oakland, so no one cared. Yeah. But he's always been good. We've known it. We've we're diehard baseball fans, and no. I know the A's are your team. You're rooting for them to get to the A's here. <laughs> <So> <laughs> the Warriors gonna be the worst team of all time. <laughs> They're so bad. They're so horrendous. We sitting to Peter Luger's on October first, being like, "What was I thinking?" <laughs> that stake's gonna hit different, man. That stake's gonna be so good. But at that moment, like you said, we had the. Here we go again. Like, it's the GTA meme. Here we go again. Like, this is happening. But in the same aspect, here we go again with the Mets. They did not say die. They did not give up. This team clawed right back. 
No, right back in a really big way. And we talked about this the last game, the Mets won last uh, Thursday against Washington Nationals, where they were just like, simply, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to let this happen. There's no way I'm going to let this happen. And that inning was really just spurned by similarly exactly to what happened at the top of the inning. Charlie Morton didn't really seem to have his best stuff anyway. He was throwing only curveballs, it felt like, in this game. It was 50% curveballs. Curveball, curveball. I'll get the exact number actually right now because I'm on the page anyway. Might as well. But he just seemed like they left him in a snicker, left him in a little too long. He walked Vogie, and then he walked Hanna. And it's a very uncharacteristic walk where it was just not, like four straight pitches out of the strike zone yeah. after a first pitch strike on, of course, curveball. And then Brett Beatty comes up, who's been having just such an unbelievable day, and it felt like something was going to happen. He put one. He had to put a nice ride to the ball. Didn't get there. No, that was a nice ride. Nice ride to the ball was in the ninth inning. I forgot. Yeah. Eighth inning. This was just a lazy fly ball. So now you got two outs. You're like, oh, man, we really got to get these guys in. Really got to get these guys in. And Francisco Alvarez, baby, he's been coming around. He's really every single game. So obvious this guy's learning. And he is so young. I really don't think that enough Mets fans or even baseball fans in general appreciate how young Francisco Alvarez is. It was a Dude, great what? Watching the game. My mom was watching the game with us. My mom was like, oh, who's that new catcher? I'm like, that's Francisco Alvarez, the prospect. My mom was like, oh, he looks like, how old is he? It was like 21. She's like, he does not look 21. Like, he doesn't give off the vibes of a young player either by any means. There's only three 21-year-olds in baseball right now since Jordan Walker was demoted by the Cardinals. There's Alvarez, Ezekiel Tovar, and Gunnar Henderson, who are three of the top 15 prospects in all baseball. But the fact that Francisco Alvarez is a 21-year-old catcher, it's it's truly unprecedented what we're seeing right now. I got a great tweet from a friend of the program, recurring guest Matt Eddy, editor-in-chief Baseball America. Francisco Alvarez right now, he's about going to be seemingly the starter-ish catcher for the Mets this year. Seems like he's almost done enough to, to see, like, I could see it happening for the rest of the season. He's on pace for 250 plate appearances. Just 20 catchers since 1900, 123 years ago, have had at least 250 plate appearances in a season at age 21 or younger. That's 20 in 123 years. The last one to do it was Pudge Rodriguez in 1993. It's a good name. And you want to know what the other name that I was going to throw out there, too, of someone who's definitely been a part of that? Johnny Bench. Yes, someone that we mentioned earlier, too, had a little bit of a rough start to his career. So as 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 rough as physical Alvarez has looked at the play so far, and there have been some bad games, some bad weeks, we know that. This is, But since? Yes. The last week, it's really found a way. That home rough Tyler Rogers thing was a big confidence boost, and what we're seeing right now is literally unprecedented. There's no statistical comp for the modern age of baseball for a 21-year-old catcher who's playing this much baseball. And Alvarez came up there. He came up hacking like he always loves to do. Second pitch was just a slider that our bar- I don't even know who this guy was. Matt Tonkin. I'd never, I'd never heard his picture in my life. I, Matt Tonkin? Michael Tonkin? Michael Tonkin maybe it was. Michael. Matt, I think Michael. they were saying he might have been playing for the Long Island Ducks at some point. Like he might have been an independent ball Michael, guy, so good for Michael him. Tonkin. But yeah, great for glad, him. Glad he got a hit. No, he hung, hung a slider right over the middle of the plate, and Alvarez just laced it down the line. We got two runs out of it. And you took the lead back, and there's that moment where like, we cannot let this lead get away. And Nope. Drew Smith comes into the game, who I feel like we haven't seen in forever. It's glad to see Drew Smith back on the mound, and he was cash money as always. Having such a good year. Drew Chains, baby. We love Drew Chains. Drew, Drew, what do you say his nickname that he went by to? Drew B? Drew Boo. Drew Boo. Drew Boo. Yeah, but uh, Drew Chains. Drew Chains, but I got me a few on. He was absolutely cash money again. We also got a little bit of insurance as well. Robertson came in for the eighth, did a good job the first time through. We also got that insurance from Jeff McNeil with that late home run, which was big because Jeff's been swinging the back great. He's completely back to, like, where he was last year, hitting 300 with an 800 OPS. And Beatty almost hit another one. That almost, yeah. He, he had, it was the furthest hit ball of the entire game at 400 feet. Dude, let's just talk about Brett Beatty for, like, two seconds, two minutes here. Yeah. He's just so good. He's incredible. He's really, really good. And I think all Mets fans, if you've been watching these games now, 
you've been able to see the see the progression game after game after game the comfortability you saw the home run against the lefty hit a double down the line earlier he's had I think they said he had a hit in like eight of his last 13 or 12 games whatever it is he had six hard hit balls today and in, in nine plate appearances that's fantastic the guy's a hard hit ball machine you're starting to see him lift the ball more too which is something that we didn't really get to see a lot last year a lot of balls hit into the ground and to the at the start when he got called up hit into the ground but his pitch recognition has been phenomenal. He's been hitting the ball hard. He's been hitting it to all fields. Brett Beatty looks like that dude. And so a play that might have just, again, we're just we're both freaks of nature. Like, we, we just are. We see things on a baseball field, and we'll just text each other something that would look completely average. In the first inning, he cut off a ball, like, in the hole and, like, started the double play. We were like, oh, my God, that was so amazing. And it was. And you, it signals the confidence, too, because that's a play that if you're not confident as a rookie or as a player, just in general, take away the fact that he's a young rookie, 22-year-old, cutting off Francisco Lindor, uh, an all-star caliber shortstop. He's cutting across the infield to make that play. That tells me that Brett Beatty's comfortable. He's just he's just playing baseball now, and that's exactly what you want. And when you look at his numbers, what is he hitting, like 350 with a 930 OPS right now or something? That was after game one. At the end of game two, a game where he had, again, three hard-hit balls, one to the warning track, but still only went one for four. He's hitting 333 with a 919 OPS. It's pretty good. No, it, it's that was another thing, too, that we kind of thought but didn't say. I feel like going through the offseason, early part of the season, that's there was like almost never – a concern the way a lot of other people were concerned about this mess lineup because we knew the top four were going to be strong and there was not that much doubt and we and we said this on air and off air that like Alvarez and Bailey were going to come up and there was tons of confidence they were going to play well but again yes. it, wasn't, it wasn't going to be instant they were going to hit the ground running probably I mean no. Bailey technically kind of has it took him seven games eight games to figure it out but just knowing that those two guys waiting in the wings two of the 20 best prospects in baseball two guys who had shown elite elite raw power two guys who shown great pitch recognition two guys have shown great patience two guys have shown I don't see for their age. It seems like kind of legit, legitimate like leadership qualities. Like just knowing that we had those guys waiting in the wings. That was the ace in the hole for this Mets lineup. We knew that was there. And that's, that's I'm confident in this lineup right now, especially with these two guys in the bottom of us flipping it over. And the issue just, again, to, to, to this pitching has to be good. But big shout out to, I want to do extra shit. We talked about him already. But Drew Smith just getting the last out after that Tyler McGill inning and then coming back for the shutdown inning after that. He has struggled with up-downs, a phrase that was very popular last year, a bit early on in his career. I guess early. He's like what thirty now. So I guess just as a, as a veteran, suddenly as a veteran reliever, Drew Smith. But <laughs> cool. It's every single inning as his Braves live, you're going to face someone scary. So really, just cool. And you know, maybe maybe it's Chadwick Trump by the nine hole in game two. But it's you're always going to see someone real in this Braves lineup. And it's very cool that Drew did that, and Dave Robinson came in for the two out save, and we got this win. Kind of felt like getting the monkey off our backs, and before just going on a little go go out to Detroit for a few days, getting getting the big boys back. Yeah, talking about uh, Chadwick Trump, too, he scared us a little bit with that ninth inning leadoff double against Jim Robertson. That's why I said it. Yeah, hands. Yeah. <laughs> Chadwick Trump, by the way, electric name. That's such a sick name. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. Gary was talking about it, too, on the broadcast. He's like, sometimes you just you laugh a little, you giggle, you really enjoy saying someone's name. He's like, Chadwick Trump is one of those. It's just a good name. A great name. But, yeah, it was very, very, I, in my, again, maybe just for my own psyche, just for the weekend I've had, just whatever going on in life for any of us yeah. here, like, it was really cool to see the Mets win this game today. It was, yes, really needed it. When, when Alvarez hit that double, I, like, started, like, banging on the wall. I was so excited. Oh, yeah, me and my dad were sitting next to each other on the couch, and it was like, let's go! Like, that's our boy, there he is, Francisco, finally! Remember, don't call him that nickname that's horrible. Don't call him that. Francisco, El Troll. We don't need to give him the horrible nickname that I'm seeing circulate more on Twitter. I'm not happy about it. You know what the nickname? I'm not even gonna say it because I don't want to push it any further. I actually never see it. Well, I don't think you follow those people, but well, I, I don't. I don't. I, I don't follow idiots on Twitter. <laughs> but 
Yeah, let's let's just call him Francisco Alvarez. Oh, troll. He's a generational talent. Let's make sure we give him the respect that he deserves. Big hit, and he was pumped, which was great. And he got his was that his first after post game interview? I think it might have been. Shout out to Alan as well doing the uh, yeah. the interview on there on the field. Of course, and yeah, you can see good every single day. These guys are getting more comfortable. Yeah. The confidence is growing. It's May first when we're recording this. May second, hopefully, when you guys are listening to this. There is so much more baseball we played this year. We played twenty nine games. I literally did the math. Steve, if we would, if we were an NFL team, we'd be in the beginning of the fourth quarter of week three. There was a funny tweet I think that went out on Friday after we lost to the Braves from Anthony DeComo. And granted, these the, like the pace record, the pace stats are stupid. Yeah. But like again, Mets fans were were a little um, rational at times, maybe maybe a little uh, quick to judge. And you would think the season was over after losing on Friday, or after losing game one today. But after Friday, I think the Mets' 162 game pace was still 92 and seven, which is kind of funny to say out loud. It's like, ah, uh, season's over. We're only going to win 92 games. Ah. So much baseball we played. We we're talking about before. You guys remember 2015? How bad the Mets were in April, May, and June? Remember, remember when Wilmer Flores was crying on the field. Because he got traded, and then they blew that game against the Padres in the rain the next day, and it was just like, oh, the season's really over. What are we going to do? And then Cespedes came here like, baseball is long. I, I mean, not to rub salt in our wounds, but we were in control pretty much all last year, and then all of a sudden it got swept out right from under us. It's a long season. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. And if you finish hot, you got a chance to make some noise. Yeah, it's just, again, it's like this would be the, the fourth quarter of week three if we were in the NFL season. <laughs> Actually, I only did that with a 16-game schedule. For the 17-game schedule, that'd probably be in the first half of the week three. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is, there's so much baseball. There's so much baseball left. It's ridiculous how much baseball is left. And the fact that these guys are getting these reps now, and we still have gotten combined this season. I'll get the number in a moment, because it's going to be really funny when I say it out loud. Da-da-da-da. The combined 19 innings of Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander <laughs> the first month of the season. And this team is even still above 500. You're like, okay, let's let's just play some ball. It's it's almost like everything that could have gone wrong did for a little bit. Yeah, and with Diaz tore up his knee in the World Baseball Classic. Like, like this, like, like a lot of baseball left here. A lot of baseball left here. Speaking of which, we have the series coming up against the Tigers, which means it's now time to do the estimate and then the series preview. Last one was for total innings played. Uh, I was actually even higher than what total innings yeah. played because we've got a five inning game. But I am the victor, so I think it's now four three. I think so. I don't know five three. John is not here, so deeper. Yeah, maybe maybe not all the conversation about whatever nonsense he's got. I was like, hey guys, I'm going to come on and say something quick. But first, here's 14 minutes on something you don't care about. <laughs> we love you, John. Don't take, don't take it personally. We John doesn't listen to these shows and he's not on. That You think? What do we think? That's the could be our bet. Let's say something this right now. This is a test. Yeah, this is going to be the test. <laughs> this will be a test if John listens. We'll see if we get a text from him tomorrow. John, if you listen to this podcast, text us papaya. Yeah, papaya. Definitely. Papaya. Shoot us a text papaya. If not... We know you didn't listen. But regardless, we have the estimate to go here. John texted me the estimate. He said, estimate is total Ks by Verlander and Scherzer in Detroit. Because as we know, they're both back, and they're both pitching against their former team in Detroit, which is also just weird coincidence. Mm-hmm. So take a prediction here of what you think these guys are going to do. Um, Detroit Tigers lineup we know is not good. I, I think I-, I can really feel confident saying that. It's not a good lineup. It's not good, but I'm pretty sure they'd, they'd make a lot of contact in a weird way. I'm double-checking which right is, now. Oh, which totally makes wrong. sense. Third highest strikeout rate in the league. Okay. love Ooh, third highest strikeout rate in the league with guys who strike out batters. This is going to be a fun one, James, for these two. You got to consider how many innings Verlander's even going to throw two in his first start of the year. Scherzer coming back after missing some games with the suspension. Uh, I'm going to write down a nice number here. 
I'm gonna write down a good number that I feel I feel confident about. And uh, got one too. I got my number. You good? Yeah, I'm ready. I got mine too. All right. Remember, we gotta say it out loud too for the people at home because most people listen to this podcast. So of course, we've we've definitely forgot to say it out loud before. So three, two, one. Showing it. I've got twelve. James got fifteen. Yeah. Wow. We have an odd difference. That means there cannot be a tie unless somehow we find a way to get half a strikeout, which I don't think is going to happen. No, you the opposite. There's not a difference, so we can tie. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, we can't tie. No, we can't tie. Can't tie. Yeah. Nice. Come on. I'm a numbers guy. Not a numbers guy. Wow. 12 and 15. Why'd you go so low? Uh, just because I figured I'm, I'm going conservative, like, Give me a strikeout in an inning, and I'm, we're going to get 12 innings out of these. Yeah. The only reason I was going, I wanted to go conservative under you. I honestly figured you'd go shoot for the moon because that's kind of been your whole moniker with Mets, yeah. with the estimate so far this season. Because I am worried. There's there's just more rain in the forecast, and we don't have. Are you sure? And we don't have in Detroit. I mean, it's just rain in New York. I mean, usually rain in Detroit comes a day before the weather in New York. I guess I don't know. I what I heard on the broadcast today was it's just going to be a little bit cold, which brings us into the series preview here. That it's going to be about. I don't know, James. You want to want to take a trip to Detroit maybe tomorrow if you want to go. We're the Anaki weather right now. Yeah, what do you got for us? Because I I heard it's going to be about forty degrees, maybe dropping into the thirties, which goes Thanks. cool. Love that we get to visit Detroit in May. That's yeah. cool. Couldn't play that team in August. Yeah. I know. You know. I know all about. Sure. I know all about yeah. mid Midwest Mays. They're not that much fun, but yeah. Um, Detroit <laughs> Monday colder with a shower or two. High of forty two, and That's today. Tuesday, Tuesday, yeah, game one of the series, and that's uh, that that'll be the eighty percent chance of rain, and then Sick. Wednesday warmer with showers in the afternoon, high fifty six, low forty two. Awesome. So I I wanted to go conservative because I did think there was a chance with these two lined up to pitch on uh, the second of the second and third game of the series that might miss one of them again. <laughs> All right, so I'm going in low with twelve. There, you went with fifteen. We'll obviously check back and see. Pitching matchups, we talked about it already with Scherzer and Verlander, but let's just go through them all again one time for us, James, with yep. as well as who the Tigers are rolling. Because, oh, this see, this if we were in person, this would have been the fun game to play. Can you name players on the Tigers? I can name a few players on the Tigers just from playing in, you know, 50, 50, yeah. 50 versus fantasy baseball leagues. But our pitching matchups are going to be Joey Lucchese versus Michael Lorenzen, then Max Scherzer versus Joey Wentz, and then Thursday matinee, Justin Verlander versus Eduardo Rodriguez. And also, for all the Mets fans at home, keep in mind, the start times for Tuesday and Wednesday are 640 Eastern. Is Detroit an hour behind? Can't. No. If they're doing I, 640 Eastern, then it'll be a 540 start. That's I don't believe so. Yeah. Chicago is basically where the the, um, the central time zone starts, and Detroit's east of okay. Chicago. Okay, so yeah, so it's going to be 640. I like. I love a 640 time start, especially with oh, the new, new baseball and how quick it feels. These games have been great, by the way. For I love sure. these games move. Although the Mets... Really find a way to play a three-hour game every time they're at City Field. I don't know how they do it every single time. But we should talk a little bit about these guys. Um, the only pitcher I have something even kind of interesting about, I would say, probably is Joey Wentz. Oh, really? I thought it was going to be Erod. I mean, Erod. I feel like people know Erod. He's, he's got he's got the sinker. He's just a good. He's been good veteran. He's been yeah. good this year. Yeah, right? good this year. But Joey Wentz was something of a prospect a few years ago. Out of all this entire cohort of Tigers' big pitching prospects, he was by far the least critically acclaimed between him. Matt Manning, Tyreek Skubal, Casey Mize, and he's the only one who's actually giving real innings for the Major League team. They've not been very good innings. The ERA is almost 7, and his whip's like 1.3. <laughs> 1, 1. But this is a good curveball that he like never really throws. It's a lot of four-seamers and cutters, which weirdly look kind of similar because four-seamer has some weird arm-side run. I, I'd i like to hit him, but he does have a nice curveball I like a lot. It's one of the most aesthetically pleasing pitches you'll see in Detroit this week. 
On the offensive side, too, we're going to run into a former New York Met great big trade deadline acquisition, Javi Baez, of course, for, famously from the Trevor Williams trade. So it'll be nice to see Javi again. Uh, he's actually been swinging the bat well after getting benched for not knowing how many outs there were by A.J. Hinch when they were in Toronto. But since then, he has played a lot better. Uh, that being said, if he sees a strike, that's a problem. Just throw him balls, he will swing. There's Just look up Javi Baez swinging at balls, and you'll find videos of him having some of the least uh, competitive at-bats I've ever seen in a baseball game. And and there's something that Javi Baez hasn't done yet this season. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying something that he hasn't done yet. That's something he usually does like some, somewhat of a lot. So if you guys just look at his season stats, you'll see that there's just something Javi Baez hasn't, hasn't done. Also, okay. want to shout out uh, Michael Lorenzen, who can transition from being reliever to a starter a few years ago, coming from the Reds. He was like a bit of a two-way player before, too, which was kind of fun. He's a great athlete. He can hit a little bit. He can play outfield. He can run. He throws seven pitches with consistency. Really? Seven, yeah. Huh. Most of his starts this that. year, he's thrown all seven of his pitches. So, that, yeah, I mean, it's not very good, but it's a, it's a, not, fun, it's a fun wrinkle. Are we facing him? Yeah, I just said, facing him tomorrow. Oh, okay. tonight. I don't know why. I, I thought you were saying Matthew Boyd. I didn't even hear Michael Lorenzen out there. Yeah, why are And, okay, I got a question for you. I got a Tigers fan, friend fan. And out of the bullpen, he's been telling me about Jason Foley. Jason Foley. You know anything about this guy? Yeah, nothing on Jason Foley. Let me check him now. Yeah, because I know you're the pitching whisperer, and he's been telling me, he, he he's straight up said, ask James about Jason Foley. I'm telling you, this guy's got something. I'd love to hear your take on it. Uh, he is a biased Tigers fan. Based on what I'm seeing right now, just the fact that he has like one of those good, good hard sliders, upper 90s fastball, really, really good extension, it seems like, but he's not getting a lot of swings and misses. Yeah, okay. Interesting. That's interesting. So maybe that is, oh, because they're sinkers. Okay, that's interesting now, not fastballs. But it looks like his command is a little bit shoddy, but I definitely see... Definitely see the vision here, for sure. Yeah. On the offensive side, some other names to quickly mention, too. Spencer Torkelson, former number one overall pick. I still hits the ball hard. It's just a Detroit, so you're not going to see a lot of power in that stadium because it's just so absolutely massive. It, they, you know, it brought the fences in, right? And it's still absolutely massive. I am. I think, I think it's playing a little bit more neutral this year. It's still just an issue with, with it might be them. Okay, maybe it's them. Uh, Nick Maton's a name that you've seen around a bunch because he's been with the Phillies along with Matt Veerling. Riley Green is another one of their former top prospects that has been a little bit underwhelming thus far. And, of course, this will be probably the last time that Miguel Cabrera ever plays the New York Mets. So if you just respect the game of baseball, even if you're maybe not a diehard Mets fan or Tigers fan, you should be watching this one because, I mean, this could be one of the last times as a Mets fan you watch Miguel Cabrera play, and he's obviously one of the greats. Am I wrong or is he in the I.L.? No, no, I think he's playing. I think he's just been having a really bad uh, season because he's 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 old. He's forty years old, um, and the power is for sure not there. He can still he can get you a single. Let me tell you, that guy can still hit a single through the hole, but the power that's what goes with age. Still one of the greats. Three thousand hits, five hundred home runs. I, I don't think it's uh, talked about enough that Miguel Cabrera, when he was like in his heyday, he was just the biggest prankster ever. Like, you would watch him on a baseball field, and he would, like, be screwing with guys. Like, the catcher, the first yeah, baseman, yeah. the second baseman. Like, go, go like, on TikTok or YouTube, find a compilation of Miguel Cabrera, like, doing weird things in the baseball field. Dude, how about when he hit a home run off a intentional walk pitch from Roger yeah, Clemens? Roger Clemens one. was trying to intentionally walk him, and he just crushed it for a home run. Like, one of the great talents that have at least played in our lifetimes. So, for sure, going to watch his at-bats whenever he gets there. Hall of Famer. Uh, but I hope he goes over. That would be great. That would be great. And... This is the Mets have a stretch right now where they're going to be playing three straight series against the Tigers, the Rockies, four straight series. Yeah, you're going to have Tigers, Rockies, Reds, Nationals. I forgot about the Reds one, right? Reds, Reds, Reds. But I would caution Mets fans not to, you know, not to be like we got to win every single game of all this or what are we going to do right now? 
And someone actually specifically asked Buck about this post game today, and he said there's real there's real dangers in thinking like that. And I do agree with him. Yeah. You cannot think you're really necessarily better than any other team. I should win this game because they're bad and I'm good. That you should never do. However, we should. I would like to see the team play well. Yes, and if the team does play well, they will win. That is a fact. I think we can say that. Also, I've been watching some videos of this guy Jason Foley. That sinker is demonic. Okay, okay, yeah. that's good. That's and, I'll. I'll... Yeah. Set back to my Tigers friend. And he's rocking a 70% ground ball rate right now, which I've never seen before. That's that's interesting in, in Comerica, of all places, to be a real... Yeah, right. Just throw a bunch of ground balls. <laughs> it's almost... seems, kind of, seems kind of pointless, but whatever. We've we've now been going about 45 minutes on this episode. One that we thought was going to be quick. we got to watch this Rangers game. I don't even know what the score is. It's 0-0 right for first intermission. Oh, okay. So we're, we're getting back or getting done here right at the perfect time. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching this episode of the Messed Up Podcast. Just one quick little thing. Uh, shout out to my grandma, Yaya. She was a big listener of the podcast. Passed away uh, this, a few days ago. Had the funeral and stuff this weekend. So shout out, Yaya. Yaya. Listening. Messed up listener, even though she knows nothing about English whatsoever and has no clue what's going on. But she was a huge Mets fan. So shout out to her. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap up the episode. Follow us on all our social media at Mets Up on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube video, the New York Mets YouTube channel, go subscribe over there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, and subscribe. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And follow me at GiraffeNeckMark with a C. Thank you guys for listening and watching, and we'll catch you on the next episode after the Tiger Series. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time.